Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part one of Friends, where Alan and I, along with a very special guest, will be carrying side A of a mixtape featuring songs about friendship. And yes, for the first time on Gen X Mixtape, we have a special guest. Welcome, the host of Who Will Save Generation X, Zabe. Thank you for joining us. Hey guys, I am honored to be the very first guest. Hopefully this will be a thing for you guys and uh, you'll you'll uh, get some success with, with having some guests on. I, I, I hope I don't script the chemistry that you guys have. I'm going I'm to do my best to, to hang in there. Um, I just want to let the, the listeners know that I am not the musical expert that Alan and Dave are. I am a uh, schmo when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to do I'm going to do my best. And I I just had these uh, ho- horrible nightmares last night thinking about being on the show of, oh, man, I'm going to screw up. I'm going to say stupid things. Uh, and, and in my dreams, I was just saying, like, uh, you guys are going to say the, all these intelligent things and I, you're going to throw it to me. and I'm going to say, oh, uh, I like the song because it's got a good beat and you can dance to it. <laughs> so I'm going to avoid that as I mean, much as I can. And he called uh, us we'll see how this goes. That's cute. He, did. he doesn't know us yet. He did. I, I appreciated the uh, American Bandstand uh, throwback, though. That was nice. Um, th- there's no way you can mess this up. Nope. No way. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Challenge accepted. And, and, <laughs> and if the listeners haven't checked it out yet, we, we were the guests on uh, Zabe's podcast, like I said, Who Will Save Generation X, which is a game game show trivia podcast if you haven't uh, listened to that episode check it out why don't you tell us a little bit about it i'm not going to do it justice so t- tell us about your podcast well the show is as you said a, a trivia game show um i searched my life and i wanted to do a thing with my with myself you know i wanted to create something in this world i'm uh, close to 50 and looking back at my life I, I realized that you know i never really took a chance on something i never really uh, put myself out there and uh, you know I'm a kind of a shy introvert by nature and for me to uh, try something was a was a big stretch for me so we made the podcast and I realized well what can I do what can I offer the world and what I came hip with is random trivia of things from my youth so that's what we do that's the show we uh, have some guests and we uh, we say that we are trying to save the memories of Generation X through games, trivia, and friends. And so we have friends on the show, and we laugh, and we have wacky sound clips, and you know we try and make things fun and light, and we remember the cool stuff of our youth. And that's what we do on the show. And there's a prize at the end of the show, uh, which is really just the, the winner of the show gets to pick an item off of my eBay watch list, which is... Uh, compiled of just random Gen X things from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. So it's, it's, a, it's just a fun look back and uh, about an hour's worth of nostalgia for people to listen to. Yeah, check it out. It's really well done. Uh, you know, your whole process, uh, the way that you, you know, implement all the different uh, sound clips and, and songs and quotes from movies. I don't know how the amount of time you must put in to, to gather all that material. It's Hours. just, it's very, very impressive. Yeah. It, it, Thanks. It, that's it, that's yeah, too much a lot work of work. For it's us. a labor of love. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're far too lazy for that. So, uh, <laughs> but no, it is incredible. Um, and it was an honor to be on the show. I, I, a rematch, I think would be fun. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't want to spoil it though. No right. spoilers. No, 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 won, no, no but, spoilers. But it was a close game. It, it was a close it game. Was, it was a, <laughs> Once I figured out the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a very detail-oriented person, as my wife says to me constantly. 
All right, so we're talking about friends today, and um, this is an episode we've been looking forward to. Alan and I have been friends now for, what, 30, 30 35 years, you know, yeah. way back into high school, um, and, you know, Long we've time. had these conversations, you know, for many, many years, and we decided just to, to, to record them for a change, and so we thought uh, this would be a perfect uh, opportunity to bring our new friend on board, and, uh, and, and Zay, uh, even though we've only been in contact uh, for a short few weeks, I feel like uh, you're right on the same wavelength as we are. Uh, if you were uh, not out uh, near the West Coast and more closer to the East Coast, we'd probably hang out a little bit. So we're glad to have you on. I, it's, it's an honor for me to be on the show. And, and likewise, likewise to both of you. So um, we always talk about our criteria before we dive in. And this one's pretty easy. Uh, songs about friendship. Right. And um, I know I, I chose songs from about friendship from different perspectives and different angles and different ways to kind of talk about or interpret friendship. And I think we all kind of did the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I did the same. I um, tried to kind of just imagine the variables, you know, I, what friendships do I have? Um, you know, how they change through the years and, and, you know, just the reverence, the respect, the appreciation, just that, the, the brotherhood, the love, all of it. I, I brought it all together and tried to, tried to choose songs that were more eclectic. Um, it, uh, I, I'm happy with my list. I'm happy with all 24 songs because of course we, we shared beforehand. We do that now. Um, and it, I don't know. I was blown away, honestly, Zay, by by your choices. I was really impressed by what you threw at us. I mean, it was it was good yeah, stuff. It was very good, very yeah. good. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to this uh, two part episode. Yep. In fact, it was so good. I think we're going to let our guests go first. I think so too. <laughs> so you're on the hot seat, Zay. All right. So my criteria that I went with was um, basically songs that I liked that had to do with friends. And, uh, you know, just like you guys said, the, the different aspects of it. And, you know, on my podcast, we talk about our Generation X credentials. That is, uh, besides being born between 1965 and 1980, what makes you Gen X? Uh, what's your cred, so to speak? But conversely, we also talk about our Gen X disqualifiers, and that's the things that passed you by during the generation. Well, this is one of my Gen X credential disqualifiers, if, if I ever was to... Uh, beyond the hot seat on my show. And, and this is that I have never watched an episode of the the show that turned this song into their theme song. And it's the song called Thank You for Being a Friend by Andrew Gold. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. Your heart is true. I'm not ashamed to say I hope it always will stay this way My hat is off, won't you stand up and take a bow
Boy, I thought I was going to disappoint everybody because I was about to say I've never seen an episode of Golden Girls either. So you picked the song and haven't seen an episode. So I guess I'm okay. <laughs> am I, am I, hey, we, so I'm the only one that has seen the Golden. Why would why why in high school would you watch well, a no, show no, about middle aged no. women living in an apartment together? I did not watch then. I'm married to a woman who loves the show. And why does she watch a show about? Oh, anyway, I, 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 why does she do anything? I, I don't know. But but I've, yeah, I've been in, I've been in the room when she's watching it, and um, it's Betty White. Well, I, love, I, mean, I love she's a national White. treasure. Yes. I guess so. I, you know, it's like, yeah, it it, it actually is a, a funny show. But uh, when I was in high school as a teen, yeah. hell, hell no, I didn't I, watch I, TV actually. But. I no, I was not watching the Golden Girls. At, Look at that, we're already at shutting 15. our new friend out. All right, keep going, yeah. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I I agree with both of you in a way. Like the show has to have something redeeming about it for it to be as popular, and it's a uh, a well loved product of the 80s right it says people still love the show but for me as a kid you know i i don't want to watch old ladies gabbing on tv i just really and it's funny because a lot of them are the same age that we are now and to say that they're old ladies you know it's it's kind of you know whatever anyways uh right they're, they're about that age our generation looks a lot younger than that generation did at the same absolutely age, so. absolutely but just shows that we're like Oh, they're an old lady and they're, they're, you know, they're talking about things that young people talk about. Isn't that hilarious? It's like, mm, not really. <laughs> I felt the same way about like kids on shows that talk like they were spoke about things like as if they were adults. Like, mm, it, you know, it's just it just wasn't for me. That's right. all. But you but, picked but the no, song. Yeah, no, no shade on. But the song is amazing. Right. <laughs> uh, so thank you for being a friend is a song co-written by Andrew Gold and Brock Walsh. It was recorded for Gold's third album called uh, All This and Heaven Too. The song reached number 25 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1978. According to Gold, Thank You for Being a Friend was just a little throwaway song, quote, unquote, that took him about an hour to write, he says. Despite the fact that TV raised me growing up, I, I just never made the time for Golden Girls. No shame there. You know, it's a song about being grateful for friendship at the end of the day, though, when we talk about the song itself. And... Uh, and that nobody is entitled to be your friend, if you think about it. And you're not entitled to be there for their friendship either. You know, it's a reminder that we need to be thankful for the people in our lives that will put up with our junk and stand by us during our uh, lesser moments in our life, just as they do during our triumphs. And this song, it, it just makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I had not heard the song either prior to this. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. You never heard the song. I hadn't. Um, I didn't even know it was from the Golden Girls. So I was playing to my wife watching the room and said, are you watching the Golden Girls? And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a great song. And um, it really was Andrew Gold's claim to fame. He didn't, he didn't have much else until Spooky Scary Skeletons much, uh, much later. Oh, that's the same guy that did that? Yeah. Yeah, that's hilarious. Same, same one. Um, those are probably the two songs that he's best known for. They're about 30 years apart, and they are, they couldn't be more different, you know. Um, but uh, no, it, it's a great selection. And there's no shame in not seeing the Golden Girls. I, we talked about our disqualifiers. I'm still, still feel very badly that I do not watch the animation that you wish I did, Zabe. So. <laughs> well, I feel badly for you, my friend. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm well, just missing out. Well, your pop yeah. culture cred on that one is is a double because not only is it a song about friendship from from the Gen X era, but it's also from one arguably one of the most popular TV shows from that era. So you hit hit two at once there. Good job. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Hey, you know when when we were on the game show when we were on your podcast, you you would, maybe you want to talk about this later. I don't know, but I'm just dying to find this out. You said you had a gripe with our show. And uh, you said you weren't going to reveal it until you were a guest on our podcast. So, so I'm not going to lie. That's the whole reason we invited you on here, <laughs> because we just wanted to find out what your gripe was. So, Dave, I want to correct you. Is I had two gripes. Oh, two gripes. Okay. Uh, one gripe <laughs> was that during the uh, several opportunities throughout the uh, pantheon of your podcast, you had an opportunity to share music from the beloved TV show, Robotech. Oh, that's right. Robotech. And yeah, yeah. As if you don't remember. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you guys did it. And I'm listening to the show and I'm expecting it. You know, I, I get this vibe from you guys while I'm listening. I'm like, you know, especially Alan. I felt like Alan, you know, we kind of got the same kind of geeky levelness of, of things. And like, you know, to love a animated show an anime from the 80s, I think that would be up his alley, you know, and I was just so disappointed that there was no Robotech love. And then I listened to the next episode, like TV themes. I'm like, oh, surely, like, <laughs> surely you're going to get some Robotech and no Robotech. Nope. And, and so, and uh, so I was really, surely. I was a little salty about that. But then you guys, <laughs> you guys explained that, you know, it just wasn't a thing, uh, you know, growing up in uh, Ohio, it just wasn't a thing for you guys growing up. So I, I can't throw too many rocks at you if you didn't have the exposure to it. So what, what, I think we I think we found some peace well, on the show say, regarding that. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was lack of exposure. It was for me. I still I that's the first time I ever heard of it. Really? When, when guys, I'm giving you an out. Just take it. <laughs> I, I knew people that watched Robotech. I I, guess, uh, and I love anime. It must, it must he's, have been, he's right. I love anime, but I've never watched. Was it during the period of the late 80s when I didn't watch TV? Is that why? Because there are a lot of holes in my pop culture from that era. Because I was just too busy to watch no, TV. No, mid 80s. Yeah. Strike out yeah, again. Yeah. So, Well, mid 80s. That's close enough to late 80s. <laughs> Which is close enough to early 80s. So, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Midlife crisis. So, so midlife crisis is very close to death. I, I, I agree. So what's the other gripe then? My other gripe is I've, I've set in for a landmine. So each <laughs> it's coming with one of your guys' uh, picks. Oh, good. The gripe is coming. So right. it's baked in. Excellent. So you can think about that each time that you uh, say a name of a sh uh, song. Great. <laughs> All right, Ooh. Alan. Well, normally you would go uh, first. So I'm going to let you go next with your pick. Yeah, but now I'm, I'm frightened to list the, the song titles <laughs> that I brought to the show. Um, okay. I'm sure it's me. He's, he's got to be with me. I'm sure. I, I'm positive. I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, we, we will find out. All right. Well, my first pick uh, for this week's episode, I went with a huge hit from 1993. It comes from the album August and Everything After. It's by The Counting Crows. Hit number five on the Hot 100. The song is Mr. Jones.
song you know it's been misinterpreted greatly to say the least counting crows lead singer adam duritz he said that people too often look for symbolism in, in songs when they're simpler than they they seem in fact the song is a true story about duritz and his friend marty jones before duritz joined the counting crows he and jones were in a band together called the himalayans and the two of them did in fact uh, go out one night to watch Jones's dad perform. Uh, Jones's dad was a flamenco guitar player who had lived in Spain, and he was in San Francisco in the Mission playing with his old flamenco troupe. And after the gig, all three of them went to a bar called the New Amsterdam in San Francisco on Columbus Street, and they got completely drunk. And Duritz and Jones sat at the bar, staring at two girls, wishing there was some way they could go talk to them, uh, but the two were both too shy. They kept joking with each other that if they were big rock stars instead of such loser, low-budget musicians, that talking to the girls would actually be easy. And Duritz went home that night, and he rewrote a song about it. Um, Which led to meeting Courtney Cox eventually. So, good plan, good plan. Uh, According to Duritz, it's really a song about all the dreams and all the things that make you want to go into doing whatever it is that seizes your heart. Whether it's being a rock star, being a teacher, being a doctor, whatever. He said that uh, the song may have come from wishing he was a big rock star with the confidence to talk to girls, but it is also a cautionary tale because it's about how misguided you may be about some of your dreams, how hollow they really may be. Like the character in the song keeps saying, when everybody loves me, I'll never be lonely. Really, the, the song is a commentary on fame. And that line, when everybody loves me, I will never be lonely, the belief that fame will make everything better proved quite the opposite for Turrets. I, I found this kind of interesting. Uh, when Mr. Jones became the, the first hit for the band, Duritz was suddenly recognized all over America, which he, he found discomfitting. And the newfound notoriety sent him into a prolonged funk, actually. Suddenly, he found himself singing a song about dreaming of fame when he was quite bitter about having fame. Um, and with the song resonating his troubles, he came to loathe singing it. Uh, Duritz stopped writing for over a year, and the Counting Crow's second album, Recovering the Satellites, wasn't released until three years after their debut for that reason. But I don't, I've always loved the song. It's a true story about two friends. And I thought, what what better way to, to begin my list? Yeah, it's, a, it's a great album. That's that's one of the quintessential albums uh, of that era. Uh, it's one of those like Hootie and the Blowfish. Uh, everybody had that Counting Crows right. CD, I think. At least everybody in, in, in the college vicinity, yep. right? Zabe, did you have it? I, I did not, but I heard it a million times uh, at work. So I felt like I had it. It was, it was played quite a bit. Uh, oh, it um, was everywhere. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't get away from that song. Yep. No, County Crows is one of those bands. Uh, I, I never got into them like I do with a lot of bands, but I, I have, I think I have most of their, at least earlier albums. I don't know if they produce anything recently, but uh, I have no idea. I've no. always enjoyed them. I haven't had a chance <laughs> to see them live, but uh, there's some good stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. That was not the song. No gripe. Okay. No, so, no gripe right there. I'm, okay. Made it safe nope. to first. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I, I said, uh, Zabe, that you had uh, double 
pop culture cred there, Gen X cred, because you picked one from a television show that was popular, as well as the song, and I'm going to do the same thing here with my first pick, and the song is Moving Right Along uh, from the Muppet movie. But I went... What's that? (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, I went with the uh, version, though, by uh, Alkaline Trio from 2011 from the uh, excellent album Muppets The Green Album. Now, first of all, I have to ask, uh, I know Alan's a Muppet fan. Are you a Muppets fan? Uh, I mean, absolutely. Okay, good. All right. So we're, I just, we all were. I didn't know if that was my gripe either. <laughs> that is a Gen X disqualifier if you don't have Excellent. at least a little love for the Muppets. Yes. Well, I mean, ever since I, I saw, I remember seeing the Muppet movie. I think I was about seven years old in the movie theater. That's, I still remember that. That's about right. Yeah. And 79? Was it 79? 79. Correct. Yep. 1979. Same. And I remember how in particular this song moving right along and if you remember in the story uh kermit meet Fozzie, and they're they're about to head off on this road trip together as new friends uh across the country to go to california and and this song is just a great uh obviously it's comedic but it's that that interplay between the two characters they end up you know who knows why they end up in this direction you know they're in rhode island and then saskatchewan is that you, i can never pronounce that word <laughs> um but it, it's just such a good song about friendship and about a road trip right when you put those two together magic is bound to happen um anyway let me talk real quick about that the green album are you familiar with that Dave? the green album uh, i am not okay i'm it, familiar with the song obviously but right not, not the green album so walt disney released muppets the green album in 2011 it was based on the success of the previous which i think was the nightmare on um night before christmas they released an album of different artists covering songs from that movie and uh this was not a disappointment if you like you know alternative music pop punk and, and and so forth okay go and if you don't remember okay go those are the guys that had all the great music videos it started out with the one in the treadmills and you know if you want to spend a fun afternoon go onto youtube and watch okay go videos because they're just incredible yeah they were the next generation or next evolution of the peter gabriel videos that yes. we grew up on yes. okay yeah. go they take it to the next level no doubt Agreed. no doubt yep so you have, okay, go perform the Muppet theme, and there is a video for that as well, so check, check it out. Muppets make an appearance, of course. Uh, Weezer covers Rainbow Connection, which is by far the most Aww. popular song uh, from uh, the Muppet movie. It was later covered by the Carpenters. and of course, Been, co- been covered by everybody. Everybody, yeah, right. Everybody. Uh, the Fray does Manamana, which is just a classic. <laughs> um, and 
pop punk band uh, Alkaline Trio from out of Chicago takes a stab at moving right along. And I got to say, they just nail the playfulness of the original. So whereas uh, Fozzie and Kermit go back and forth here, two members of the band are kind of going back and forth and bantering during the song. So like I said earlier, what represents true post-adolescent optimism more than a street legal, legal vehicle, your closest buddies, and the open road ahead? Oh, I know. Yeah. The perfect mixtape to play along the way. <laughs> Correct. Agreed. Correct. For my money, no one's going to top Fozzie and Kermit, right, for this song. But you're right, Dave. The, the Alkaline Trio really remains faithful to the spirit that this song was meant for. It, it's a good listen. Yep. I am curious. Why didn't you go with Kermit and Fozzie? Well, uh, part of it... Part of it is a pride thing, okay? So if I'm in the car with people and I have the actual Muppet Show soundtrack, especially if I might not know them very well, that could be a red flag for some people. <laughs> but if you're playing post uh, or uh, pop punk versions of those songs, then it becomes a cool conversation piece like, oh, wait a minute, isn't that that song from the Muppet Show, but it's by a different artist. So this, this is a song that could be played on our road trip playlist our road trip episode or our guilty correct, pleasure. Correct, correct. So for you, for you, I, I get it. And, um, and we've talked about before when, when making the mixtape, you have to consider the whole mixtape as well. Like for instance, we don't usually put live songs on. There's one song coming up where I prefer the live version. I didn't choose the live version because it's hard to sequence because it just cuts off the crowd noise and that's something that really annoys us. And so uh, I'm not sure that the Muppets necessarily fit, that Kermit, Kermit and, and Fozzie fit with the tone of the rest of the songs. Okay, that's fair. I I don't think that, that there's any shame in listening to the Muppets, but I, I, I get your point. Maybe I'm just a little more concerned about my reputation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a damn uh, about my bad reputation. So, yeah, it's, it's all good. I'm with Alan on that. If, okay. If, if, if someone looks at you sideways for having a Muppet, for, for listening to Com Fozzie and Kermit, I think you just don't need those people in your life. That's true. Thank you. I'd rather cut yeah, them so. out than Fozzie and Kermit. I'm, I'm with you. So people that know me well, they all say the same thing to me when it comes to my musical taste. They say that I am, I'm far too rigid on what I like and that I don't give new things a fair shake or that I stay in my bubble too much and ignore all the music except for the music from my generation. And while there's a lot of evidence to support those thoughts, I must admit that if you were to tell me that I would love a song released in 2017 off the Captain Underpants movie soundtrack sung by a pop country artist who is a millennial, I would say that you are out of your ever-loving mind. However, as it turns out, you'd be right. That brings me to my next song on the list. It's called A Friend Like You by Andy Grammer. Right from the start, couldn't pull us apart, it just works. Nobody else ever gets me as well on this earth. Like rock and roll, marshals and tellies, back and cheese, PBs and jellies. Some things are better together, and that's you and me. And dude, I love you, bro. I love you, man. I love you. You're my brother from another, another mother. You are my favorite. I'm not ashamed to admit, because I do, do, I do, I do. Without a friend 
Uh, I love this song because it was sent to me by one of my best friends, Michael Gibbs. Shout out to you, bro. Uh, he sent it to me like out of the blue one day. And it was at a time in my life where I was feeling pretty down about things in my life. You know, we all go through that. Uh, I, I had my normal knee jerk reaction when I saw the outside package to the song and, and I was really dubious about liking it. Uh, but my, but my buddy sent it to me. So I felt like I, I had to listen to it and it instantly melted my cold heart. It's, it's, not the greatest song in the world, but it, it is. But it, it certainly is one of the best examples of a song that features dudes telling other dudes that they love them. Is it, it is an unashamed platonic love song about friendship between two men. So in a, in a world that does not celebrate men being vulnerable with their emotions, being able to show that towards one another, you know, uh, this one breaks that taboo in our culture, I feel. And I for that reason, I feel like it's it's kind of an important song, even though it's from a Captain Underpants movie. I didn't even know there's a Captain Underpants uh, movie. You didn't yeah. know, really? No. Huh. And, and yeah, if, if there's a buck to be made, they're oh, going to make course. a movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's been more than one, I think. I think. I, mean, I, I, know I, could, di- I could be wrong about that. I know maybe. Diary of a Wimpy Kid had several movies, right. but I didn't know Captain Underpants did. Hmm. Uh, I, I might be wrong. Maybe there are no sequels, but I I, I remember vividly when it came out. Is it live action? No, it's got to be cartoon. It's animated. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's a Captain Underpants cinematic universe or not, but (laughs) I I, I do think that the world would be a better place if we normalize men specifically telling other men the words, I love you, and it not being weird, you know? I agree. I think we all should go, you know, out in public wearing capes and underwear as well. So it's it's all good. Well, the the rule is You first, Alan. Oh, don't, don't. Challenge accepted. You know, the, I, I have no shame. The rule is this. You can say I love you to a friend, but you have to end it with man. Yeah, I or, think or, that is the yeah. rule. You got to say or, I love you, man. Or dude. Or, or dude. Yeah. But, but if you don't have that qualifier, it gets a little uncomfortable sometimes. It, it, yeah, it, it can. So I, I can't think of any other song that puts friends' feelings for another friend front and center like this song does. You know, there, there's, there's lots of cheesy bits in it, right? And it's, it's a bit reductive with some of the lyrics. But that's what you get from a country pop artist who is a millennial writing songs about underpants wearing superheroes, you know. But this song does is a reminder for us people who are getting older that good things come from unlikely sources. And it only benefits you to keep an open mind to new things. You never know when, when you can find something that brings you joy in this world. And if you close off your heart and mind to these new things, then you'll lose that joy that's available for you if you were to only give things half a chance. So I think when it comes to music specifically, people are very rooted in, in what they like, or they, they say they like everything, which makes me feel like they don't really like anything, you know? So, so I, I just think people need to keep an open mind to, to things. And, and that's what I did for this song. And it's brought me a lot of joy. I don't know much by Andy Grammer. I mean, I, I know he had uh, honey. I'm good. I think was one of his, he, he has a couple of songs. Maybe that's not the title. Of I, I don't, I don't know. Um, Andy Grammer, but, uh, He's 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 fun. He's, yeah, he's okay. a fun listener. <laughs> no, right. I guess uh, I, I know him as a DJ. He's he was requested there for about a three month period, and only only about a three month period. <laughs> okay. But uh, no, it, it is a fun song. I hadn't heard it either uh, before. Yeah, he he has a kind of interesting story that he was uh, he kind of got his start as being a busker hmm. in like uh, uh, what's that subways or whatever. Yeah, you know, and was somewhat discovered just playing music, you know, in a tunnel, essentially. And uh, those kinds of rags to riches stories are, are really fun to to know about. So, yeah, look him up if you're interested in that sort of thing. Sounds good. 
I, I kind of break the mold on my next pick because I think uh, that both of you probably came into this thinking more along the lines of songs that express friendship and gratitude and respect and, and appreciation. I did that too. Not always. He's, Dave's got one. That's, well, yeah, he does. Yeah, he yeah, does. Yeah. He does have one coming up. I agree. Um, but, you know, there are so many times that your friends are not your friends. And my first thought, I was going to go with a song by Jim Croce called Operator. Mm, yeah. I yeah. almost went with Operator, you know, my best, uh, my ex-best old old friend, you know, I forget. Ray. I, with Ray. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I should have known that. I love Jim Croce, too. Um, he's, he's been on Yacht Rock a lot. Well, not Yacht Rock. He's been on The Bridges. Um, the Bridge. Yeah, the that bridge. makes sense. The Bridge. station a lot. He's def- on. Definitely not Yacht Rock. But, no, 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 no. Um, I do love Jim Croce. Um, I almost went, went operator, but I thought that is a story of true backstabbing. I didn't necessarily want to go that far with our playlist. So I instead went with a song from 1981. It hit number one, stayed there for two weeks. It's from the album Working Class Dog, and the song is Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. Jesse is a friend. Been a good friend of mine But lately something's changed It ain't hard to define Jesse's got himself a girl And I wanna make her mine And she's watching him with those eyes And she's loving with that body I just know it And he's holding her in his arms Late, late at night my very first vinyl LP I ever owned. Was it really? And I earned it because I sold enough magazines in second grade at Woodland Elementary School. And one of the prizes was you could choose a record off of this big list. Yep. And because this song was on MTV, I chose Working Class Dog. I remember that same fundraiser and I chose my album. And if I tell you my album, you're going to... You got to say it, man. You got to say it now. You're going to roll your eyes. You got to say it. Say it. Say it. Well... Pyromania by Def Leppard. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, hey, I like that record. I don't whoa, like Def Leppard. I don't because you, you and your hair band. Whoa, 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 whoa. All right. See, see, I'm sorry, Zay. This is where we get off, off topic. Pyromania was pre hair band. Now, granted, it, 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 it eventually led into the whole hair band thing, but they were still 80s pop back then. It was just 80s pop. It was Mutt Lang, it was, it, and I know he produced, uh, you know, Stary and all that stuff, but I feel like once they got into the late 80s, then they tried to fit in with the Motley Crue's and the Poison and all that. I liked Pyromania. Pyromania was the, the <laughs> album that I, I, I All right, back, back to Jesse. Back to Jesse's girl. Okay. Yeah. Um, sorry, Zabe. We, we did this. Um, all right. So who was Jesse's girl? Okay. The truth is we may never know, and Rick Springfield himself does not know her name. Okay. 
Um, he's told the story, though, in interviews. Uh, it was a brief relationship that he had when he was making stained glass. He was taking stained glass classes. Rick Springfield. Today I learned Rick Springfield yes. is a stained glass artist. Yes. Um, I, I did not know that either until I did a bit of research. He was going to a stained glass class in Pasadena, and a fellow classmate named Gary uh, and his girlfriend uh, were also uh, taking the class. Springfield was completely turned on by Gary's girlfriend, and she was just not interested. And Springfield has said that that left him with a lot of sexual angst, so he went home and he wrote a song about it. Okay, easy enough. Then about four months later, he stopped going to the class and he lost contact with the with with Gary. Um, the only thing he remembers is that Gary was his name. He doesn't even remember Gary's last name. Uh, so they weren't great friends. No, they weren't great friends. No, um, they were stained glass friends. Stained glass, yeah, maker friends, yeah. buddies, yeah. Um, but Springfield, he changed the name for the song because he said Gary didn't sing well. And I, I had to agree, Gary's girl probably was <laughs> <laughs> not a bit... Uh, Gary's girl. Yeah. So um, according to Springfield, the song was absolutely what he was feeling, though. Gary was getting it, and Springfield wasn't, and uh, Rick was a little upset about that. Uh, in fact, he said, quote, it was really tearing me up. Um, Springfield has said many times that sexual angst for him is an amazing motivator to write a song. I think that would be true of rock and rollers, uh, you know, for time infinitum. Um, but after the song hit number one, I didn't know this, Oprah. Oprah's people tried to find Jesse's girl to reunite Springfield with the object of his desire. They came really close to finding her, but they were unsuccessful ultimately. They, they were able to find out who Gary was, but Gary had died two years earlier, okay? And a year after his death... Gary's family had thrown away all of his papers. They had thrown away everything. His family didn't know who he had been dating um, when he had crossed paths with Springfield, so Oprah missed finding out who Jesse's girl was by a year. So she couldn't like do a show about, like, are you out? I know this is pre-internet probably. Yeah. Uh, she could have done a show. I I'm sure Jesse would have eventually, well, I guess if she didn't watch Oprah, I don't know. Yeah. You think with her with her media muscle, she'd have been able to track her down. Yeah, way, you would but. think, but no, I don't know if they just didn't want to go that route. I I, I don't know. Uh, this was Springfield's second top twenty hit. It's his only number one. As I said earlier, it stayed uh, in the in the top spot for two weeks. It was August of eighty one. Uh, the popularity of the song and album that summer was bolstered by the fact that Springfield, if you remember, was an actor. He had landed the role of Doctor Noah Drake on the soap opera General Hospital earlier that spring. It also helped that Jesse's Girl was the number one song in the U.S. when MTV launched on August 1st, 1981. When he takes his, his uh, fender and he breaks he the mirror. Breaks the I mirror, I still remember yeah. that image. Uh, the music video became a favorite on the Fledgling Network. And, you know, photogenic Springfield starred in a well-produced video. Most videos at the time on MTV in 81 were not well As I'm going to talk about <laughs> well later produced. on, one of my choices. Um, but uh, he also was a trained actor, so his acting skills portraying his angst in the video... Uh, with, with the effects, it stayed in heavy rotation for more than a year. So it's kind of funny. Springfield had a number of hits. Mm -hmm. But when I talk to anybody, I don't know if this is true for you as well, Zabe, whenever I talk to anybody about, not that I talk about Spring, Spring, <laughs> I don't I don't meet new people and begin conversations about Rick Springfield, but I find that the only song people remember by Rick Springfield is just no, there was girl. Love Is All Right Tonight, well, we, uh, She Called were, Me Bruce. There are all uh, kinds. Okay. Don't, don't Talk to Strangers. Don't Talk to Strangers. Yeah, there, there were okay. many, many, many hits, but Jesse's Girl is the one you hear. Yeah, no, it's true. You know, I, I can't say that I've heard another. 
well, on Sirius XM, if you listen to the 80s channel, they do. Yeah, they In fact, Springfield has his own. Um, yeah, he does. His own, mm-hmm. um, you know, special, uh, his own. He DJs. Yeah, he DJs. Um, but yeah, I just, I wanted to throw a song on that showed that, you know, friendship, there are boundaries that you shouldn't cross and often friends do. So. He didn't actually cross it, though. No, he didn't. So which he is why, about it. Which is why I went this with this song Thought as crimes. opposed to, yeah, yeah. All right, so Zay, were you a fan? I was not a, a fan of Rick Springfield uh, growing up. He, I don't think I was his target demographic <laughs> uh, for for his listeners. Um, but, you know, of course, you got to love Jesse's Girl as a song. You know, that's part of the soundtrack of our youth. Um, but I find it interesting that he wrote songs when he was feeling sexual angst. And the fact that most people assume that he only had one song, they would li- that would make them assume that, he lived with a lot of sexual angst, which I don't think was the uh, the facts. Not after he's on General Hospital. No, not at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my next pick is We're Gonna Be Friends by the White Stripes from 2002. Great song. Off the album White Blood Cells. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell. Brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Walk with me, Susie Lee, through the park and by the tree. We will rest upon the ground and look at all the bugs we found. Safely walk to school without a sound. Safely walk to school without a sound. Here we are, no one else. We walk to school all by ourselves. There's dirt on our uniforms from chasing all the ants and worms. We clean up and now it's time to learn. I just really, really love the innocent nostalgia of this song. Jack White really taps into those days in elementary school, right? We all remember those days. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, the, the first day of school. Uh, maybe you've moved to a new school or, or a new kid moved to your school, right? Or maybe it's someone that's just been to your, your school and you hadn't had an opportunity to interact with. But there's that special time when maybe you meet in the playground or in the cafeteria and you know right away you're going to be best friends. I think about stepbrothers, right? Or are we becoming best friends? <laughs> yeah. uh, whether it's your shared love for Dukes of Hazard or Star Wars toys, whatever, that leads you uh, to just begging your mom, you know, can you spend the night tonight? You know, Friday nights were so special. Um, and, you know, chances are you might, you know, a couple weeks go by and you never talk to him again. But sometimes those friendships blossomed into, you know, years and years and years to the point where I still... Uh, I am in contact with several of my friends from, from kindergarten. In fact, we had a, a reunion not too long ago, and uh, one came from Idaho and one from Oregon, and we all got together. And it was just, it's just strange to think that since kindergarten, uh, we're still friends and we still stay in contact. Now, most people only knew the song at the time if you were a White Stripes fan, but then Alan's favorite movie, and I say that with great sarcasm, mm. Napoleon Dynamite came out a couple years later. And they used uh, this for the theme. Uh, so at the, the opening title, when 
they have a cafeteria tray and the credits are kind of cool. They're written out in ketchup and tater tots and so forth. This song plays. Uh, in fact, Jared Hess, uh, who directed the movie, wrote and directed the movie, reached out for permission, obviously. And um, Jack and, and Meg gave their permission like immediately. They loved the film and they were happy to have it included. This is my favorite White Stripe song. Oh, right. easily, nice, nice. I think. Yeah, it's, it's really like kind of this super sweet song, I feel. And it hits all the nostalgic notes, as you said, for growing up with your buddies. I'm just curious, when you had that reunion with your friends from kindergarten, did you guys like all take a nap together? Just full time <laughs> Well, we had juice boxes. And uh, yeah. actually, back then, it would have been the, the milk cartons that, they, that were impossible to open. You'd always yeah. open the wrong end and then, have, yeah, yeah. Or Capri Suns, right? <laughs> the, the little pouches. Right. You stab the straw straight through the whole damn thing <laughs> instead of just, you know, you got to. It took a it took a very uh, finesse touch yes. to get that right. Just certainly right. did. Certainly did. Uh, I'm, I'm, suddenly, I have uh, this this thirst for ecto cooler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> remember be, Chili Willies? Oh yeah, Chili I remember Chili, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Zabe, you're up. So my next song is um, this. This one's going to get a little uh, a little emotional, I think. Or it could be, at least. This next song might be a little controversial about the meaning of it in regards to if you take the song strictly about, fr- if you're taking the song strictly about friendship, but I feel I can justify it being on the podcast of this episode. It's my all time favorite, it's from my all time favorite punk rock band, Social Distortion. Nice. And the song is Don't Take Me For Granted. The L.A. punk scene. Yep. Very nice. Yep. Well, okay. So you say the L.A. punk scene. Being from Southern California, I got to say, it's not the L.A. punk scene. It's the Orange County punk scene. Oh. L.A., Orange County are very different places. Those of you who are listening right now will know the difference (laughs) and why there is a tone in my voice when I say that. (laughs) I'll say West Coast. West Coast represent, yes. (laughs) Social Distortion is a band from my hometown uh, of Orange County, California, as I said. Uh, They were formed in Fullerton, and I was able to see them play at a small venue way back in the day. It was my first experience of being in the pit. Nice. And yeah, oh yeah, man. And, 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 And my first punk show ever, really. And it really blew my mind at the time. Uh, the song is from their sixth studio album called Sex, Love, and Rock and Roll. And is the, it is their first album after the untimely death of the original guitarist, Dennis Donnell. 
Donnell was replaced in the lineup by former guitarist for the Cadillac Tramps, Johnny Two Bags Wickersham. Johnny clearly got his nickname for his proclivity for bringing two carry-on bags when traveling by an airplane. I, I'm sure. Right. There's no other reason why he'd have the name Two Bags, right? Uh, it's, it's such a punk rock move, dude. Like, two bags, bro. We're going to really take the man down. Until Four Bags comes along and then he's Until news. Four Bags comes and he was twice as good by my math as John. No, I'm just kidding. No, he, he, that guy's had a prolific career. He's still doing stuff. But anyways, uh, the, the lyrics are open to some interpretation, as I said, to their meaning. But the whole album has songs written in honor of their fallen friend, Dennis Donnell. After he died, there was some rumors of the band ending, actually, over, over his death. But in an article in the New York Post, Social Distortion's frontman Mike Ness said, I never had any intention of giving up on Social D. That is, until Dennis died. Three days after he died, I wrote a song about him called Don't Take Me For Granted. And uh, that song made me realize I need to do this to respect him and, and for, to honor him. Uh, when my feelings for Dennis catch up to me, he says, it's hard to finish a sentence, let alone a song. Yeah, I lost it a couple times when I was on stage. End of quote. Uh, I, I, caught, I once caught a show and Mike Ness got emotional on stage during his introduction for this song before they played it. And it was very moving and it was very genuine even several years after Donnell's passing. I, I always think about it when I hear this song and I can't help but think about my friends and how quickly they can be gone without any warning. And it is a great reminder not to take for granted uh, those whom we love. Yeah, yeah. Um, we might have mentioned it on a previous show at some point, but uh, one of our gang passed. How long has it been, Alan? Uh, six years now, maybe. Might even be ten. This might be closer to. You think it's been? Yeah, that long? I think it has been. But yeah, I mean, went went to high school with us, uh, roommates. I mean, the cl we're closest to the closest. And really, twenty twelve. Yeah, yeah, I think it has I'm, been. I'm. But yeah, it's it, it. And he had a, a a form of cancer that went in remission slowly and then came back. And I mean, fortunately, we had an opportunity to have closure and to, you know, speak with him on those last days. But uh, yeah, no, nothing, nothing prepares you for that. Yeah. I can, can I, can I, uh, my buddy who I went to the show with, that I was referring to, uh, to see social distortion. He passed away uh, last year from mm -hmm. COVID. And uh -huh. he, I mean, he's younger than me. He's in his 30s still. And um you know, it's, it's a real gut punch. Yeah. You know, you grow up, you think you're invincible and your, your friends, they, they, they die. They're no longer in your life, just out of nowhere sometimes. And it's, it's songs like this that, um, you know, bring the hurt back, but also soothe a little bit of it, you know? It, yeah. And it reminds us, I mean, beyond the fact that you obviously miss your friend and you won't see your friend again, but it also reminds us of our, um, our mortality, right? Um, yeah. much younger than, than we ever want to start thinking about our mortality. So, yeah. Um, yeah, good pick. Good pick. Yeah. The loss of a friendship is, um, is, is still about friendship. So it, it makes the, oh, it sure the does. mix, I think. It sure does. Hmm. All right. Okay, now that I brought everyone down, <laughs> let's roll. <laughs> um, well, uh, my next song, um, I have a soft spot for this song. This is the title song to a 1967 movie um, titled To Serve With Love. And uh, it was originally performed by Scottish singer Lulu, uh, who was also in the film uh, starring Sidney Poitier. Uh, is it Poitier or Poitier? I always say Poitier. Poitier. Poitier? We didn't Poitier? use this song on the, on the Back to School? No. 
No, oh, did not use it. Okay. Um, Lulu, uh, she got the gig uh, for the film after director James Clavell saw her open a show for the Beach Boys. And at first she had just a small role in the movie, but Clavell was so impressed with her that he expanded her role and he had her sing the theme song. Uh, the film stars... Poitier. 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 Okay. It's French. French. Uh, <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> uh, now I'm going to have to... Now, now I want to wear my beret. Um, the, the, a raspberry beret. Now, the film stars Poitier as a high school teacher who has, has, of course, a big impact on his unruly students. It's a formula we've seen a hundred times. Wait, students weren't really back in the 60s? They were. I thought they were yes. model citizens. Oh, yeah. No, apparently, um, yeah, Dangerous Minds has nothing on, on the kids okay. of this of this school in 1967. Um but Lulu plays one of his students and sings the song to him at the end of the film as the students show their appreciation for the teacher. Uh, it was actually Billboard's single of the year for 1967. And it, uh, you know, it was number one for five weeks in the USA. Uh, however, in Lulu's native UK, it was only ever a B-side to her number 11 hit, Let's Pretend. But you didn't now, choose that version. All that said, I did not go with the original version by Lulu. No. Uh, I went with a live Version we we of course you know if you listen to the to the podcast you know that we we steer clear of live recordings. This one though nicely fades in. It was on a, like a, an anthology. It's on an anthology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the version that I decided to go with is actually by Ten Thousand Maniacs. Now this goes back to Natalie. Natalie is lead singer still yep. uh, at that time, and it features Michael Stipe. Another good version. Susanna Hoffs actually has a, a very nice version of this as well. You know, that's not so, the first time they, they sang together. On, on uh, In My Tribe, Michael yeah. Stipe makes an appearance on Correct. Campfire Song. Yeah, yeah. he does. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I've always loved this song, and it, it doesn't get more Gen X than, you know, 10,000 Maniacs, Michael Stipe of R.E.M. Um, I will say that the original version, if for those that may be unfamiliar with the song or those that think they know the song, um, they may not know that the original version that was used in the movie actually had three verses. Uh, for the single release and every cover since, uh, the original second verse has been cut out. Um, the original second verse was, Those awkward years have hurried by. Why did they fly away? Why is it, sir, children grow up to be people one day? What takes the place of climbing trees and dirty knees in the world outside? What is there for you I can buy? And then again, if you wanted the world, I'd surround it with walls. 
I'd scrawl in letters 10 feet tall to serve with love. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that as a teacher, I've made an impact on my students. My friends list on social media easily, uh, probably a third of my friends are former students. So when I say that I'm looking at friendship in all of its various angles, I, this one just, I don't know, had to, had to include it. Yeah. So. Zabe, thoughts on this one? Yeah, this is a, this is a beautiful song. I, I think, Alan, you, you nailed it. I don't really have much to add to it. I, it's just, it's a beautiful song, and um, I, I get why it would move you to tears. I, I'm right there with you, man. All right. You're up, sir. Back to me. The Boys Are Back in Town by Thin Lizzy from 1976 from their album Jailbreak. from Island recorded this one um, about friendship, at least in my eyes, it's about friendship. Um, you know, some people have, and it may be about a gang, but you know, gang members are still friends, right? That still counts, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, little, just a little history about the song, which is interesting. The song didn't, almost didn't even make the record. Uh, it was one of those they were, you know, considering leaving off, and the band was playing in, in the U.S. at the time. And they just were not selling any tickets to their shows. And the label was about to drop them. And they, they did end up putting it on the album. And thankfully, there were two DJs in Kentucky that just started to play the hell out of this song. Just played it like in heavy, heavy rotation. And it got big in Kentucky. And then that spread to the surrounding states. And eventually, they released it as a single. And because of that, it saved Thin Lizzy from being dropped from their contract. Huh, so we can thank Kentucky for bourbon, <laughs> bourbon. horses in this song. and Thin Lizzy. Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. um, but like I said, yeah, it, 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 it has those gang overtones to it. But to me, it's, it's more of a testament to unending group friendship, right? So I talked a little bit earlier about the class reunion, right? You, you, you come home for a class reunion or maybe a holiday get together. Um, I know like the, the night before Thanksgiving is like, like that and, and, and New Year's Eve, the two biggest nights to go out. Because, you know, most people are coming back if you live out of town to, to see family. And what do you do that first night? You get together with all your friends that are back in town. And there's just that way you instantly pick up with these guys like no time has passed at all. And obviously, yeah, things have changed and, and everyone looks different and you have stories to tell and people are in different places in their lives. But there's still that core. Things have not changed. Right. And I don't know about, you know, I mean, we're friends, so <laughs> I can't say I don't know about you, but. When I had friends from elementary school that come in from out of town, um, we pile into a car, we drive around all the old haunts, 
you know, drink a lot of cheap beer, just like in the old days, and just talk about the nostalgia. I'm with you, except for the cheap beer. I don't know, I don't know <laughs> that I can pull out a, a, a case of natural light or, key, or <laughs> little, Keystone. Or, little, or, little Kings. Remember Little Kings? It's oh, <laughs> even worse. Oh. Um, but in, in addition to that, it's one of my favorite classic rock songs of all time. I just, I, I love the song from top to bottom, um, especially the Steely Dan-esque double guitars mm. that, that roam throughout the song. Um, just a little side note on this one, a little little trivia. The song was used to present vice presidential candidate Paul Ryan in the 2012 <laughs> Republican National Convention. Um, the band was not pleased with their music being used for political purposes, which is something we hear quite a bit. <laughs> Why would they use the boys are back in town? Because uh, Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan were the boys and they're. I don't know. Maybe the convention was in Minnesota. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, they're trying to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> they're busting out some Thin Lizzy to, to <laughs> get some fans. You 1976. Know? Yeah, they're, they're yeah. in 19. Yeah, yeah that's only because couple- they're really in touch with the <laughs> pulse of American youth. They're trying to get that youth vote, and they, they're, they're busting out the Thin Lizzy from 1976. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, it, it beats Reagan's misinterpretation of born in the U.S. Yes. So I'll, I'll give you that. Much. <laughs> so, all right. All right, Zabe. Your last pick for side A. I am going to say something right now, and I really don't care if people know this about me. I don't. I feel very firm in this belief, and I'm going to share it on your podcast right now because I believe that it is important and it's a keen insight that some people may not know, and that is that racism is bad. And we see all that highlighted in our next song that's called Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Excellent choice. Yes. I am so glad you included I was, this. I was, this one impressed me probably most of, of your list. Um, yeah, it's a little out of the box, I think. Uh, but this song depicts a situation that nearly everyone can relate to, I think. Getting stuck, talking to your friend's friend who happens to be a racist pig and lets you know all about it. The dynamic of negotiating friendships when there is an ideological differences is not the typical topic for most songs, but they might be giants are not like most bands. And so I think it really works well for them. The line of the song, can't shake the devil's hand and say you're only kidding, it just sums up the whole song to me when, when I think about people called out for their flippant racist comments. I think anybody that has had to go somewhere, to, you go to a dinner party or you go hang out at a distant relatives, especially, uh, whatever, when you're going to experience people making casual weird comments, unexamined comments that you wish they would examine, you know? But that's how that's the world we live in. 
And I think in a way the song kind of is just venting about it and we can live vicariously through it uh, as dude gets as the dude gets his comeuppance in the song. Yeah, yeah. And and boy, I, I hate to say it, but obviously we're way more polarized now than we were back in I believe what this eighty nine, maybe ninety the song came out. Nineteen eighty nine, yeah. And um yeah, um and I think we've all been there. And and what's there, there's a nuance in this song. Yeah, well the line in the song, this is where the party ends. Yeah. Could be could be referring to their friendship right oh interesting like yeah yeah so people say you know i don't know if i can be friends with you if you're friends with this guy who's you know full of this awful stuff inside him yeah right so i mean we see the lines being drawn <laughs> in this polarized climate that we have all the time you know families are torn apart i mean i i've got family members and friends that i'm not even nearly as close with anymore because of i hate to say it their 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 beliefs of other cultures and how they how they treat people of of different races and you know i i just i just can't you know i i i, I can't overlook it you and, and know it's somewhat, your silence is 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 what's it silence is uh complicity it's consent, or, consent, or, yeah. consent yeah. right yeah. yeah whatever i'm trying to say you guys are smarter than me no no bust it out <laughs> <laughs> well and, and, and for they might be giants um a lot of their stuff on the surface seems to be nonsensical and a lot of it is nonsensical frankly um but here are one of those moments that it, it, it it's you know pretty pretty straight on pretty on pretty on the nose as they say um which i appreciate because um as much fun as it is to listen to they might be giants it's nice that they have a few nuggets out there where they make a statement. It is, yeah. I mean, Particle Man, uh, you know, it only goes so far. You, you need to, you need to really throw props to them because this song is, it, it's probably one of the most meaningful they've ever recorded. I, I, I love the track. So I uh, again, I'm going to throw out my. I got to see them live uh, in, in Peabody's up in Cleveland in the flats. Did you on this tour? <sighs> the Jack Ruby's opened up for him. It was a great show. I would love to see Not them my, live. I think the greatest achievement of They Might Be Giants, though, is when they um, did a cover version of Tippecanoe and Tyler 2. So for your history people out there, that was the very first campaign song of all time, back when uh, John Tyler and William Henry Harrison were running for the presidency. <laughs> and they, they wrote this song, and they would print out the sheet music, and they would go to town, and they would pass the sheet music out to all the, the supporters, and they would learn the song, and they would sing it during the parades and the campaign and so forth. And so They Might Be Giants went back, and they found the sheet music, and they actually covered the song. That is brilliant, my friend. I just got one last bit. Yeah. Um, you mentioned seeing them live. I was able to see them live as well in Los Angeles. And, you know, I was I was a pretty pretty sizable fan of the of the band, or so I thought. I went to the I went to the show and we're waiting for the show to start and I went by myself and there was this girl sitting next to me, lady, this woman, young woman, uh, standing next to me in the pit and I, you know, we're just striking up a conversation. And I said, What's your favorite band? And she looked at me all weird. She says, well, they might be giants. And I'm like, no, really? Your, your favorite band? They might be giants? Uh, I mean, of all time. You know, I know we're at the show. She says, yeah, they're my favorite band of all time. And it struck me really weird. Like, you know, I love They Might Be Giants, but how can that be your favorite band of all time? They might be giants. And because like you, I was thinking, well, their songs are just silly. And, you know, they're, they're not really meaningful or whatever. But then... I went back and I, had, and I really listened with like open ears, you know, and an open heart. I'm like, wow, these guys, I'm missing it. Like, they're not weird. I'm the one who's missing what they're laying down. Right, right. And they, they really, dude, 
uh, put your hand inside the puppet head. <laughs> Great song. Sounds like, yeah, it, it seems like such a, you know, what, what are you even talking about? A puppet show? What, you know? But, dude, you got to really listen and interpret those lyrics. Yep. That's a deep ass song, yes. man. They yes. really have lots to say. No doubt. And uh, so I've been going through, even recently, through their uh, catalog and, and like dissecting it. Like, okay, what are they really saying here? You got, there's, there's some really good nuggets in there. And, and uh, I feel ashamed that I, kind of you know didn't give them their props all these years so i wanted to make up publicly this thing that uh, that i i was in the wrong they might be giants they're super legit well your story is better than mine mine's a little embarrassing but i'm going to tell it after the show um I, I was too we were too young to drive at the time so i was waiting one of the parents were going to pick us up so we're downtown cleveland down the flats and we're waiting for our ride and uh there's a van there wait how, how old were you well it's 89 i mean probably 15 or 16. You know, I probably drove, but my parents probably didn't let me drive to Cleveland. Cleveland. was probably what it was. Okay. And uh, their van was right there. And, and I'm like, oh, this is cool. And I look through the, the window, and they have Polaroids on the dashboard of all the different places they, they'd gone on the tour. And I thought, this is really cool. And, I, and I, I don't know why I did this. I took my gum out of my mouth, and I stuck it up underneath the, <laughs> the, 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 the van. So, the, so part of my DNA would always be traveling with them. That's hilarious. True story. Uh they're going to come find you, Dave. They are. <laughs> hey, that's that kid. <laughs> yep, I'm sure they listen. Um, <laughs> are you all finished? We don't want to Yeah, I'm good. Cut you off. Yeah, I, I, I'm at peace now that uh, I publicly <laughs> said my love for They Might Be Giants. Oh, man. I, um, so I'm the only one that hasn't seen them live. I'd love to see them live. Um, all right, so my last pick for side A, I had to go with Queen. Um and this is from A Night at the Opera, 1976. It is the follow-up single to Bohemian Rhapsody. The song, of course, is You're My Best Friend. This one was written by Queen bass player John Deacon. In, you know, all four members of Queen, um, all four, wrote at least one of their major hits. That was their band requirement that they all had to write. Yeah, yeah. they all had to write. Uh, Deacon wrote this song about his wife. Uh, he enjoyed a rather quiet home life, and particularly in the early days of the group. He was very shy and quiet. He really put his song suggestions forward. Um, after Freddie Mercury died in 91... Deacon became something of a recluse. He he was involved in the in the posthumous album Made in Heaven and on the 1997 single No One But You. Um, but then he retired from music and 
he's, he's just declined to tour with the band on their subsequent tours with Paul Rogers and Adam Lambert. The band still maintains contact with them, and apparently they run decisions by him, according to Brian May. The rule is that if Deacon does not reply to an email, that is his way of saying it has his approval. Um, Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, who knew? Uh, Deacon, he played an electric piano on this track, uh, which was a popular choice at the time. Uh, many rock songs by the likes of Stevie Wonder, Steely Dan, I mean, they, they were using the electric pianos. Uh, the piano was either a Fender Rhodes or a Wurlitzer, or possibly a combination of both. Sources vary. Deacon wanted to write a song incorporating the instrument, but Freddie Mercury, the group's keyboard man, did not want to play it. Um, Mercury said, I refused to play that damn thing. He said, it's tiny and horrible. I don't like it. Why play those when you have a lovely, superb piano, was what Freddie said. So Deacon took the electric piano home. He learned to play it, and he started writing this song, and that's him on the keyboard um, when you hear, you're my best friend. So You know, they're, they're, that song has a place in our history. I don't know if you remember this or not. In our history. See, <laughs> a, 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 as, as friends... We we used to fight sometimes. It's hard to believe, but oh, we <laughs> Pat passing the lighter. Yeah, we oh days. yeah, I forgot. <laughs> we used to fight, and and we would have these like moments at Denny's where we finally had to like just air everything out. And, and in the tradition of Lord of the Flies, um, instead of a conch shell, you had a, a lighter because we were smokers at the time. And so if you had the lighter, you were allowed to talk, and, and, no, one, and, and no one else was allowed to talk. That was our group therapy. <laughs> But we were also DJs, as we've mentioned probably too many times on the show. And we had shows together, but then as time went on, you know, we branched off and had shows with other people and so forth. And I don't know what you and I were fighting about. It might have been, you know, oh, back yes. then we were politically opposed. I've grown since. Uh, you finally saw the way. It might have yes. been religion. Who knows? We, we had all sorts of discussions <laughs> and some out just flat out fights. But I was on the air at the time, uh, and we had had the fight earlier in the day. And you called up and you requested, you're my best friend, just to make me feel like an ass. Go me. <laughs> yes, go me. Um, kind of an odd... I, I, I get why I would have done that. It's kind of an odd choice because it's, I know, it's actually just, a love song. <laughs> but um, <laughs> nonetheless, um, did, so you felt like an ass? Yeah. All right. And I played it. Very good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the song, Zabe? Oh, it's a classic. How can you not love this song? And And, you know, I hate to say... Freddie Mercury doesn't know what he's talking about, but that electric piano is legit. Oh, yeah. I oh, love yeah. the electric piano. Definitely. Like, Definitely. I, there needs to be more songs with the electric piano in it. It's just, I don't know, something about it. I just, I really dig More it. electric piano and cowbell. Yeah. More electric <laughs> piano and more cowbell. Absolutely. Together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is, so this is the last song for side A. Last one. Wow, we've arrived at the end of the show. Look at that. We, we're all intact and alive and breathing, and this is going well. Um, and the gripe has to come either now or on side B. Oh, yeah. Is it going to be on side B? Well, <laughs> it's going to be on side B. Okay. Let's okay. stretch it out okay. into one more episode, everybody. <laughs> uh, Let's wait to, this, baby. Way to keep the listeners engaged for at least another episode. <laughs> all right, I went with You Got a Friend. Ah, uh, yes. And, of course, it's, uh, it's by Carol King off her 1971 masterpiece, Tapestry. Uh, but I did not go with, with uh, Carol King's version, and some people out there may want to disagree, and you guys may disagree. I did go with, with James Taylor. When you're down and troubled and you need 
nothing Oh, nothing is going right Close your eyes and think of me And soon I will be Brighten up even your darkest night. You just call up my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running. Oh, yeah, babe, to see you again. got to do is call and I'll be there yeah 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 you've got a friend James Taylor uh, of course and Carol King were friends uh, they were recording albums at the same time she's recording tapestry he was recording mudslide slim and the blue horizon and they were in the same studio and they were collaborating and playing on each other's tracks and so forth and um, the, the, her version was not a single. Right. And of course, she had how many monster singles from this record? Oh, so and many. so Taylor said, okay, well, I'll record a version. And it's not that much different. You know, we talk on here about covers and making it your own. But I understand at the time and them working so closely together, just I think he wanted to take the song and, and, and make it a single and make it a hit that it deserved to be. Yeah. And it, it was. It went to number one. Uh, it was the Song of the Year, so she won Grammy for Song of the Year uh, for writing it. He won the Grammy for Best Male Performance. Uh, so can you imagine that? The Grammys back then were, were actually good. They gave <laughs> awards to good music back in, in 1971-72. Carol yeah. um, King said she did not write it for any one specific person. I was kind of trying to find out who this friend was, but it, it's just really kind of a conglomeration of friends in general. Um, but it's just such a, it's a, such a simple, kind open song. I mean, the words that we're all desperate to hear when we're down and we pick up the phone. And you know, sometimes we have friends for certain things, right? If, if I'm down for, for, for this, maybe I know if I can call this person, you know, they're going to be willing to, to meet up and, and make me feel a little bit better and talk it out. And that's one of the measures of, of true friendship, right? When you can call that person and not, maybe not at the moment because life is going on, but when that friend says, hey, I can meet you now or hey, how about, uh, you know, this weekend, let's get together and let's just have a beer and, and talk. Um, that's that's special. That's special. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you. I much prefer Taylor's version to, to King's. I, I love Carol King and Tapestry is incredible. I mean, it's it's too late, so far away. I mean, I just, I can listen to that album on repeat but Taylor there's just something he does with the song the simplicity just he and his guitar I, I just I've always preferred his version yep. to Carol King's do you agree or do you have gone with Carol absolutely King? Okay. Uh, I mean they're both good versions but I mean I have a special connection with this song uh, James Taylor was a fixture on the radio or sorry a fixture on our radio our stereo growing up my mom and my sister absolutely loved him and they played on repeat like i know all the james taylor stuff uh from them you know but <clears throat> i told this story in my podcast when i had my sister on it a while ago um, my favorite mixtape i made for myself was during my freshman year of high school and it was a mix of nothing but songs by the cure 
but by the end of the cassette, there was a little bit left over. You know, you know how that happens sometimes. Right. Songs don't always take the whole thing. And, <clears throat> you know, I wasn't smart enough to figure out how to <laughs> overcome that at the time. So I just left it empty. And I happened to grab whatever tape I found at the house to record over, right? To make my mixtape with, as we often did, right? But as it turns out, I taped over part of my sister's audition tape she made for when she was trying out for her high school musical. And well, this is the song that she chose for her audition tape. (laughs) And I heard her sing it to me every day as I walked home from school in ninth grade. It was so appropriate for this song to be on there because she moved to Hawaii that year. And it was hard for me to, to live my life without her because our, my, my, my mother, she, she left us. She left our family and she just bolted. And shortly thereafter, my sister left and all the important women in my life were gone. And so I had her sing. Oh, I'm getting a little emotional now. So I had her sing it to me and uh, it, was, it, was very, it was very sweet. And, you know, the song is, is awesome and, and sweet in and to itself. But to have my big sister singing it to me at that specific moment in time uh, meant the world to me. And, but I think this song is the ultimate friendship song. Like, that's all it is, right? As you, as you guys mentioned earlier. But it also reminds me that our siblings can be our friends, too. So uh, I purposefully left this off my list because I was betting on one of you guys feeling it belonged here too. And I feel like I got, uh, I, I broke the system here because I got a song I really <laughs> wanted on the list and I didn't have to use up one of my slots. Oh, today. Alan does that all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the time. I know he does. I'm, I'm learning from the best. <laughs> so, okay, I, so the story didn't turn out quite like, I th- so you're, the cassette that you chose to record over was her singing this song. Yeah, it was her singing it, like his, her, her audition tape. Yeah, I'm sorry. Maybe I didn't say the story very well, but I, I stole her tape. I just found a tape and I go, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my Cure songs on here and I'm going to be sad and depressed and wallow in my misery with, with Robert Smith singing to me. And when I was done with that, at the very end, unbeknownst to me, it was her singing the song. Because she found a, a spot to, yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, she, oh. It was her tape. She, was already, she already gotcha, sang it. Gotcha. Sorry, I, I thought I, she was going to show up to our audition, and the cure was going to come out, and she was going to no, be really no, ticked no, no. off. Yeah, yeah, and then she, then yeah, well, then no, she I, married Robert Smith, and then no. Yeah. Um, no I, I was just expecting her to be very angry, or oh, you, right. you to be very no, 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 upset, no, no, no. or it, so. No, she has. She had no idea I did that. And oh, she moved okay. to Hawaii, so she left it behind. So you know, gotcha. You, okay, you're paying so. in our family. You can pay the price. You lose your cassette tapes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that, hey, that's that's a nice story there. That's it a nice is. Story. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's that's side A. Um, what do you think, Zabe? Uh, I know it's a different format than you're used to, and of course, when we were on the show, it was a lot different because we were answering the questions and you were asking them. But uh, what do you think? Can you uh, stick around uh, for next week and do a side B with us? If you guys will have me, and if I can stop from crying on your show, then yeah, I'll be, I'll be happy to. I, I gotta, I gotta tell you your landline story too. So I, I feel obligated. I absolutely have to be here, and I want to. Excellent, excellent. Cool. Um, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Jay Callahan Painting. Um, if you're looking for your home to be painted inside or out, make sure you look her up on Facebook. She does an amazing job, and she's a close, very close, and very dear friend to to both Dave and I. Um, Oh, one last thing. We don't ask this enough. If you are a fan of the podcast and you listen either on Spotify or on uh, Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate a review. Um, 
we're still trying to grow our audience, and the best way to do that is the five-star reviews. If you think we earn the five-star review, we'd appreciate your help on that. Yep. Uh, yeah, the algorithm or whatever. I mean, it's interesting. It's tough with podcasts because people listen to all sorts of different you know, platforms, Stitcher and Podbean and, and so forth. But Apple's still kind of the number one. And so if you, are, if you are an Apple listener, we would really appreciate it. Remember, we had the drive for 25. We did. You know, we're up to 30 now, which is good. But, uh, you know, it just, it just helps. Uh, if, it if they know that people like us, then they're more likely to suggest us to others. Agreed. So. All right. Anything else you'd like to say, Zay, before we have you back next week? I am excited to uh, share the last back part of my list. I think it's better than the first part of my list. And uh, I, I, I appreciate being on the show. All right. Awesome. Well, that's all for this week. Hot Funk, Cool Punk. Even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift that needle, and hit eject. And we will see you on the flip side. 